So welcome to Cross Training, where we look at faith and practice in a biblical lens to help start conversations in a Christ-like manner. Uh, I'm your host, Tanner Higgins. I'm also your host, Matthew Thompson. And I'm the third stooge, Mason Simmons. We hope that you will join us in our goal to make every part of God's Word practical in today's culture. Let's get right into it. Matthew? Absolutely. I believe in the last episode we talked about the church community and some of the, the issues that arise when it comes to establishing the unity that we talked about two episodes ago, uh, getting into the biblical meaning behind it, uh, what we lost and what we stand to gain mm-hmm. if we stay in the center of Christ's will. So what else is there to address? I mean, we've talked about um, some of the, the friction that occurs within a church as a result of the flesh, uh, and a lot of that friction occurs due to emotions. Uh, which we established. So let's get a little further into it and establish what is there to cause those those bad emotional responses in the first place. I believe that we can all agree that it comes down to differences between people. People yeah. not seeing eye to eye. Uh, these differences can be socioeconomical. They can be racial. They can be as simple as uh, having a little more money in your bank account. I mean, it, it comes from all different directions, the, the prejudices that we have. So uh, let, let's dive into it. Sweet. So in uh, Romans chapter 12, verses... Uh, four through five, and we'll be reading out of the uh, King James OG uh, this time. So, Romans chapter 12, I'm going to start in verse three actually. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, man or woman, we're not sexist, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Verse four. For as we have many members in one body, we're back to the body analogies, and all members have not the same office. They don't have the same design, have the same purpose. Ending in verse 5. So we, being many, which I think is pretty cool, he's acknowledging everybody, the whole body of church, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So it's almost like three for one and one for three. All for one and one for all top deal thing. You know, yeah. three musketeers. Three musketeers. Oh, man, not three stooges. But, uh, you know, we're Christ is all for us, and we should all be for Christ. And, and within that, it brings oneness. It brings unity. Back to that Webster uh, uh, definition. Yeah. I'm glad we're back on the body analogy because we, we discussed it a bit in passing in the last episode, and yet... The one person at this table with some medical experience uh, didn't chime in. So, Tanner, now's your opportunity. Man, you know, as a paramedic, I've, I've seen plenty of bodies. Uh, some that are nice and some that are not so nice. <laughs> I'm talking attitudes, by the way. Attitudes. Some, some people are nice. Yeah, sure. Yes, we'll go ahead. Um, but Romans chapter 12, it gives a clear answer that the differences of not only functionality, such as elbows and wrist and and stuff like that, but also an ideology are helpful in the body. And so there's a function and purpose for every single one. Now, all because someone is different within the body doesn't mean they are not useful. I think we live in in a church in a community that has a lot of elders. And I think there's some that would see themselves as useless. And it's sad to say that I think we've fostered this idea to the older generation, saying that they are useless because we don't know where to put them. 
you know, they, they've said, okay, well, I, I used to be a minister, but my brain doesn't work as well it used to, or my body, I used to be a missionary, but my body doesn't work the way it used to. And so I think some sometimes we don't know how to use them, but they're still useful. They're still useful. They're not just useful in the way that God designed, designed them, but they're useful in a way that Christ can continually grow the kingdom of God if they're just willing. There are plenty of members that love to attack one another. And we talked about that in the last episode where uh, jealousy, gossip, anger can breed these discords within the body of Christ. God doesn't want that. Christ doesn't want this disunity amongst the body of Christ, this living example of an Edenic design. So within, uh, to get to more of a, uh, I guess, a academic level, there is a disorder called Body Integrity Identity Disorder, BIID. Uh, and I heard about this disorder, but I had, to, I, had to do, I had to look it up because it's very, very rare. Uh, very rare. So this disease, this BIID, is a rare disorder where you either mutilate or you have a desire for your healthy limbs to be cut off. It's a mental disorder. Though. It's a mental disorder, yes. And so this disorder, people will get like hammers and nails and like put screws in their arms or legs or they'll break it, their arm, or eventually they'll get so desperate because surgeons ain't going to just cut off an arm yeah. just for the sake of cutting it off. That doesn't make any sense. Sometimes they'll actually cut their own limbs off because they see no need in it. That's a dysfunctional unity. And you see within the body of Christ sometimes, and it's sad to say that in America, uh, which I can only say this because we live in America, that a lot of times you see churches have such a bad dysfunction where they see a useful member of the body and they want to cut it off. Yeah. They want to cut them off. Now, to keep that uh, analogy going, I like, well, like is a strong term, I guess. Um, that disorder stays true to the analogy because, it, I mean, it's a mental disorder. Mm -hmm. And who is the head of the church? Christ. Christ. So that makes a good illustration for what happens when you don't keep the head of the church ah, what it should be. Yes. I mean, if you're... If your desires shift from Christ's plan for your community, for your church, for your life, uh, you're going to start cutting off members that ought not to be cut off. You're going to stop seeing the, the value in church members just because of like their age, their, their race, uh, their bank account, that sort of thing. I mean, Christ described his kingdom as upside down for a reason. It makes no sense to us. He sees value in that which we naturally, like due to our fleshly desires, don't see value. When we look at people and go, oh, well, they can't help my church, uh, whatever. I mean, it's cool if they keep warming the, the pew up, but other than that, uh, forget them. They're just there. You need to go back to Scripture. You, you, need, you need to look within and figure out, why, do you, why are you having these terrible thoughts about this other individual who is made in Christ's image just like, just like you or me? Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that, I mean, that's definitely a, a head of the church issue. And, and by that, obviously, I don't mean Christ. That's, that's an issue of us not recognizing who the head of church is. Our synapses is. ain't exactly. reaching the main control center. So now that we've talked about some disorders and finished up our body analogy, uh, we've touched on it a little bit uh, in, in the past couple minutes, but let's get back on it. Uh, one big difference that exists within the church is that of age. Mm. Uh, elders in the church, you mentioned it earlier. Uh, so let's get a little further into that. Like, what? I mean, is this a problem, for one? 
No doubt. I, you know, I can see, you know, going to, you know, we're in the backwoods of Tennessee, as we said, you know, in our last episode, going from all these strange places here. What are you talking about? We have a Walmart. We're not that backwoods. <laughs> uh, yes, I forgot. The good old Wally world. Um, but no, you know, we have a lot of churches here in the Bible Belt, especially where we have the old traditional churches, which is typically made up of the older you know, congregation, the older people in Christ, you know, um, here on this earth. And not a good, bad thing because they, they serve their purpose just like everyone else does. But when you try to bring in, you know, younger guys kind of like us who, you know, ha, who have grown up in this different time era, and, and, you know, we have not bad but different views on things like worship songs you know you know I'll, i'm sure some of us except for matthew time to lean towards contemporary songs i mean matthew's a little bit different in his the music heavy taste metal. Hey, every music can be used to, to glorify god <laughs> that is true and we'll forgive you for that no <laughs> <laughs> except for country but that's oh, another episode yeah. anyway but the taste of music upon age groups completely different mm-hmm. preaching styles oh yeah completely different you know, I, a lot of the old timers will prefer some. Some will prefer fiery preachers. Some will uh, prefer some like um, like Dennis Deweese, who are very uh, calm mannered. You know, won't won't lead behind the pulpit. They'll won't get very loud, but they will have very good, very powerful sermons. But they may not speak powerfully you know they may not present themselves energetic but have one of the best sermons you could have ever heard so i mean it just depends you know what preferences are but as we can see with age you know there's definitely some differences between you know our you know 20 to 30 age versus the 60 and up and of course there's the opposite of the spectrum the the hacking preacher which our grandfather uh paul daly yeah. Uh, which he, he he's now deceased, uh, 2002, I think. Oh, it's been forever. It's been forever, I can't remember. Tough but uh, he was a, a, a preacher, and he was more of a uh, very uh, lively preacher. You can even look at Scripture and see that even Paul and Barnabas had different views of how they can help the kingdom. You saw Paul. He was one that was heavy on, like, getting in and getting out and, like, heavily mission-minded, which you see that he's the first one that really pushed forward into missions. But Barnabas... He focused a lot on personal localized churches, and he was even one that backed John Mark when Paul was like, he's no use. He's no use to me. He's basically a coward. He ran out. But Barnabas is like, no, let's, let's, let's give him a chance. Let's just give him a chance. So we see that even uh, within first century church, there's a way to respond and there's a way not to respond. And I think one of the most recent things that I've seen in, in an article recently of how not to respond uh, is a church in Minnesota, which will remain nameless. But they've decided that their goal is to make a more youthful, energetic identity to their church. And by doing that, they kicked out all their members that were 60 years old and older. They did this they gave them funding to go start another church and they said stay away for 13 to 18 months so they can build this youthful identity of a church now i see this as b-i-i-d <laughs> that disorder again oh, yeah. you're basically cutting off a vital vital instructional 
helpful tool for the kingdom of God in a way that is so detrimental to not only to that body of church, but to that community of how harmful that would be. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a lot of people forget, we say it all the time, but how true is it that, you know, our older, you know, brothers and sisters and our older people in our churches provide so much wisdom. Oh, yes. Even if they're not physically able to go out to the mission fields or, you know, physically able to go visit all these people, that's fine. But if they're able to show up to church on Sunday and they're able to talk to some of us younger people or some, the pastor and just encourage him, that means way more than people think about it. You know, as, as a preacher who's going from church to church, you know, and you try not to let it affect you too much, you know, because it is sometimes it is just empty hearted compliments, but actual wholehearted enforcement backing from the elder people who say, oh, you're, you know, keep growing, keep in the faith. It's worth it. You know, all these people who give you that encouragement, you know, they can be some of the most encouraging people you've ever met. Mm-hmm. Because they've been there, they've seen the struggles, they've experienced it, and they've come through, and they can say, you know, how true it is to stay with God. And I think, you know, if you just if you send that away as this church did, I mean, <laughs> you've lost a lot of your encouragement, but you've also lost a lot of your, you know, wisdom throughout life. You know, they if they've grew up in church, church comes to a rough situation. I mean, the younger people's not going to know how to handle it. Yeah. So let's look at the flip side of this real quick, though, because, you know, we talk about, you know, casting out, you know, the elders of the church. But I mean, sometimes it's rough to say, but the elders can be quick to push aside the young, too. And, you know, one thing that gets brought up a lot of times is how much, you know, us, you know, as millennials or just the younger generations in general, you know, we might want change too much. And while that might be true, but I mean. You know, sometimes a little change doesn't hurt things because if you get stuck in tradition, I mean, are you really following God or are you just, this is the way we've always Amen. done it? Yeah. Yes, it, this is the way we've always done it. This is the way we're going to continue to do it. And I mean... Don't be a Pharisee. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think sometimes we can be, as a, as a whole church together, we can be too rash in making decisions about, oh, no, this is how we've always done it, or no, like, this is too much change, like, we're being, we're conforming to the world. And, I mean, it, 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 there's, it's impossible to find a true balance within a church because there's no perfect church. Mm-hmm. But we can't, just be, we can't just be too rash to say no just because you're young, you, you, you don't know, you just want change, or no, you're old, you're stuck in tradition. Like, we can't be too quick to make those decisions. I think there's a compromise. There's a compromise because you look, you're not married yet, Mason. One day you may be. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> that sounded uh, a little bit too sad. <laughs> but uh, another analogy is that, you know, that the church is the bride and Christ is the groom. Um, when you get married, you may think you've got it all figured out, but there's a give and take thing. You know, you to have unity, to have that type of relationship, that union between a man and a wife I've got to give up some things. But then there's some things that my wife's got to give up too. Or there's some things that we have to come together and acknowledge, okay, this is how to have a functional relationship we got to strive for. And that's perfect when it comes to the body of Christ is that, you know, there might be some things that me as a younger person need to look at. It's like, okay, maybe this is something that I can address later or something that we can pick up 
later in the uh, forward action of the kingdom of God to create better harmony within the body. Uh, I know that there's sometimes, I think uh, our church has done good at with the music because we've basically split our worship half and half. We sing two contemporary songs and two hymns all in one setting. So we're appeasing to both sides. So we're subscribing to the idea of like, okay, you know, we're not shutting off one group of the older to the younger. We're wanting to worship together. So I think that's one way that I think is is really good that a church can do by worshiping together and, and mixing it up a little bit. Uh, but for the sake of bringing things around full circle, uh, we've, we've talked about what unity is in the biblical sense. We've talked about uh, how, how unity can be destroyed, how it's destroyed by the fall, and how we actively destroy it uh, through the flesh within the church and within the community. So just to bring everything back around, let's, let's look again towards Scripture to see what happens when this unity that we're, we're seeking after through Scripture, like what, what does God feel when we accomplish it? whether it be through imperfect means in doing what we can during the small amount of time that we have on this earth or when we're talking about unity in the heavenly sense, when, when we escape this uh, sinful world. Uh, I want to go to Psalm chapter 133. And it's a real, real short chapter that does a pretty good job establishing uh, what God thinks about all this. It says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. Yeah, and I think Psalm 133 is a great verse that I think we need to break it down for three verses, very short chapter, but to really get, squeeze as much juice out of that orange, I think we need to break it down. So, uh, we're going to look at it exegetically and look at it. So, behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity, is the first verse. And so you look at good and pleasant. I think this can give a glimpse all the way back in creation when God created the earth and God created the universe and God created things. What did he say at the very end of the day? That it was good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was harmony in what he's done. The, the, the work that he's done is good. And so at the end of the day, he does this very good thing. And if we have unity, he will see that, oh, this is good and it's pleasant. Mm. And continuing on in verse 2, it says, It is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran, ran down upon the beard, even the Aaron's beard, that went down the skirts of his garment. So uh, oil, mainly olive oil, is a staple in Jewish and Israeli culture. It, it's used in many things, many facets. It was used to anoint kings and priests, but it was also used for cooking. So you have two ends of the spectrum. It's like, oh, so this thing has high significance to just cooking my bread. You know, so you have many purposes upon it. So this fine oil, this extra virgin oil is what it was, it's actually. Uh, used in the high in the high priest and anointing the extra virgin stuff the fine stuff it's in being used down Aaron's beard so this oil is not only a, a well smelling ointment because they used it for you know ointment so it's a well pleasing aroma it's not only that but it is refreshing because there's a lot of times I think that the body of Christ it, there's so much discord with amongst each other and so once unity's met it's refreshing oh, yeah. it's refreshing 
But along with that, Aaron is significant because Aaron, who's Aaron? Is Moses' brother who was the high priest. And through that line did the priest, the men of God that went in the temple to talk and to dwell and to do the temply godly things. So this ointment is a priestly thing. It's a high blessed honor to be part of unity. Um, and God will bless this, just like he blessed Aaron and the priest by being in the presence of God. And verse 3 is the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descends upon the mountains of Zion, for there the God commanded the blessing, even life forevermore. So Israel, grassy land, what do you think it is? Desert, mostly what? It brings to mind a desert. Desert. It's mostly it's mostly you know dry. Nothing. I mean, it, it, stuff can flourish, but yet uh, it's it's very deserty and dry. Uh, but the dew of Hermon cover it covers the mountainside, and so what's that saying is that unity is this dew upon a mountain that brings fresh, luscious, green, wet grass that brings forth this very fruitful-looking thing in the midst of just dryness, in the midst of this deadness that you see around in Israel. And so that contrast it should be seen within the church. And Zion, what is Zion? It's Israel, the chosen one, the chosen people that we are called, now us as Christians that we are called. And so us as believers, this dew of unity should be a representation of something that is flourishing, something that is beautiful, something that should be seen afar off, that green mountain amidst the dry deadness of the area around us. And people see, that's Mount Zion. Those are the chosen ones. I don't mean to preach, but that's the ones that God has called, and that is all of us. And that's within the perfect unity of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what that scripture, I know that's a lot within three verses, but that's what David's trying to get at here, is that unity is key to what Christ is trying to do. And what binds us together in that unity? What's the blood of Christ? And guess what? What? <laughs> <laughs> that was corny! It's better than Flex. <laughs> that was corny! Said, I was just saying, then he said what? And I was like, no, no one's going to answer my I mean, part. you still got to pause to work with. Come on, take 17. It's better than Flex, though. So that concludes this episode of uh, Crush Training, which we talked about addressing differences. Uh, hopefully you can meet us in the next one.